Kills Live, the show that never disappoints when bringing disappointment. I'm Liz Winstead, normally joined by my co-hosts Moji Alabodeel and Marie Khan, but they are not with me, so I am flying solo. But do not worry, I would not bore you with the rantings of myself for an hour. I have an action-packed show full of incredible guests. Joining me now is operations manager of the West Alabama Women's Center in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and author of Handbook for a Post-Row America, my friend Robin Marty. And to talk about what is happening in trying to provide care and trying to fund abortion in Georgia and the Southeast, I am joined by Jaleesa Jackson, who is the interim director of ARC Southeast, a reproductive justice abortion fund, servicing folks in the South, and Oriaku Njoku, who is the exiting executive director of ARC and the incoming executive director of the National Network of Abortion Funds. All of that is happening. Plus, if that wasn't enough show, I am joined by a comedian, hilarious activist, Shanali Bomek. But first, before we get to all of this activity, course, we want to hit some updates for you. Um, we have some good, we have some weird, we have some, I don't even know the fuck. So Utah, it continues to be great. Uh, they blocked their messed up abortion ban. And, you know, a judge was just like, I don't care. I don't know. You got to be nuts. We're going to let abortions continue until we can sort this whole thing out. Um, in Kentucky, they have the judge has heard whether or not the case will they will let people get abortions again. But we are still unclear. So as of right now, Kentucky is providing care. Louisiana continues to be great. A second time around, the judge has said your abortion bans trash. So right now in Louisiana, care is happening. The state of Arizona Personhood has been blocked. So Arizona is providing care for now. And then we have, I guess, great news. The great state of Minnesota, where I am from, go Gophers, the Unrestrict Minnesota Coalition, the Gender Justice Organization have worked tirelessly. Abortion Access Front actually made a video for this campaign to get some of these garbage ghost laws off the books. And it turns out Minnesota has gotten rid of so many of these like shitty ass restrictions that were on the books. And it's uh, it's pretty, pretty exciting. So uh, Minnesota will continue to be a haven state for folks coming in from all around the country. And not only that, it's been a place and cont- will continue to be a place where people will get care. And so I feel like super proud of my state. Go Minnesota, go. Also, There's a Michigan ballot initiative, if you haven't been paying attention, where they needed to get enough um, petitions signed to get on their ballot in the fall to also get rid of these garbage ass old Michigan laws. And turns out they got inundated with signatures, which is a really good sign for the initiative going on the ballot in the fall. So go Michigan. 
And um, those things make me happy. The other thing that was weird this week is Joe Biden had an odd week for abortion when we were waiting and hoping that somehow the federal government would find some kind of way to help us out in any way. His exiting comms director, Kate Bedingfield, told the uh, Washington Post that Joe Biden's goal in responding to Dobbs, which is the Mississippi case, is not to satisfy some activists who've been consistently out of step with the mainstream of the Democratic Party. (sighs) Boy, people were up in arms about that over the weekend on Twitter. It's really unhelpful to have the this blanket activist statement. Who are you talking about? It's really been frustrating. I was getting fights all over Twitter when I simply asked that Joe Biden please recognize and bring his some of that empathizer in chief energy that he brings to other issues to talk to folks who are having abortions, who are providing care, who are trying to help people get care and understand what they're dealing with. If the president of the United States can't listen and learn and hear and feel in his bones the stories of suffering, and now don't say he was very, very empathetic when it talking about that 10-year-old girl. And it was like, I would hope so. We should all be. There is nothing more horrific than a 10-year-old who is denied abortion care, impregnated at nine, denied abortion care, and having to travel to Indiana. We should all be empathetic, but everyone's abortion deserves value and deserves humanity and access to it. The president needs to hear from people so that he can help change the hearts and minds. It's a two-way street by advocates who want to be able to tell their stories so that politicians can in turn talk to people because they have a broader reach and try to help them out. It's two-way. If you're not having those conversations, how are you allowing people to understand the profundity of why they need to turn out and vote? Just saying go vote means nothing. You know, you can't vote like your life depends on it if you don't know why your life depends on it. And those conversations need to happen. And just to pass it off, it's like, and I don't know what he's talking about with with activists who have been out of step with the mainstream of the Democratic Party. Also, I want to be really clear. It's not just the Democratic Party that has abortions. People have abortions all the time. And the statement was cold. And Biden's presentation has been very rote. And also, I'm not necessarily expecting him to do anything. But, you know, the little that can be done is he's trying, but also overpromising. And I'm going to talk to Rob and Marty coming up about, you know, this emergency room law and why it's not great for everyone. And also just the state of Texas could not, could not hate women more. Like they just couldn't hate women more. The second Biden announced that happened, the state of Texas filed a lawsuit suing the Biden administration for forcing them to, you know, become, you know, drive through abortion emergency rooms or some shit. It's just wild. So Like, if you're thinking that we can't challenge this president on abortion and you're screaming at people to shut up and you're the reason we lost and not challenging the president on anything, 
and not putting pressure on him to have a little bit more empathy and also not putting pressure on him to talk to folks who've had abortions. And when someone asked that, just getting screamed at is so bizarre to me. I don't really understand it at all. And then just looking at the wake of what's happening, I feel like there has been some things that have been really positive where, you know, we saw that Whole Women's Health, a clinic chain that is in Texas and is in Maryland and is in Minnesota and Virginia and several places is raising funds to open up a clinic in New Mexico so that folks in Texas can be safe haven care. Same with the clinic in Mississippi, that case that brought the Supreme Court, the Pink House They're opening up in New Mexico. People are trying to expand access everywhere. And people are desperately trying to keep care going and keep their clinics open to provide preventative care in ways that make the most sense. So it's very exciting to be able to talk to Robin Marty, my first guest, about reimagining what the clinic can look like and the kind of care it can provide in a state that is hell-bent on zero care at all. Hey, Robin. Robin, I guess the first question I have for you is... um, A redundant, silly one, but how are you holding up? It's hard. It's weird to say that I tell a lot of people it's kind of like grieving a death. You feel like it's very strange that the rest of the world's still going on while you're in such a completely different reality right now. And so you go through all the same sort of phases. You go through the anger. You go through the bargaining. Like maybe somebody will come up with a lawsuit. Maybe Biden administration will do something. Um, And a lot of anger, um, disbelief. I mean, we haven't, we haven't done acceptance, so that's good because we're not going to accept it, but it feels like we're in a completely different world from a lot of the rest of the country. And it's strange to, to feel that way and to feel like people are interested, but they also aren't here. They can't get it. Right. I think that's been the story of abortion. That's always been the story of abortion. If you're not here, you don't get it. And so there's a lot of armchair philosophers and a lot of people who are saying they think they know. And I know y'all are working tirelessly to do everything you can. And before we get into, because there's just some stuff in the news that I want to talk to you about. But before we get to that, I think I really wanted to hit with you what it is because in Alabama, you can't provide care, but that has never stopped you and your fantastic team as to figuring out why it's important for your clinic to remain and stay open. And I think in this landscape, in the stories we're not telling, I think that's a really big story. So will you talk a little bit about you have reopened and what your plan is and why it's crucial for folks to be supporting you at this time? Yeah, we reopened on Monday, and I think that's part of the reason I'm so exhausted right now. Um, We were closed for about 10 days in an effort to show the state that we were going to comply with their new laws to the best that we can understand their new laws, because honestly, the attorney general is still not entirely clear about what we can and can't do. And so we wanted to take this time to say we are done doing elective abortion as much as we hate that, and that we were working with our patients who had already begun services with us because there was a waiting period and because people were already in for their first appointments and then could not get their abortions. So we were told not to help them. We were told that that could open us up to liability, that it could be considered a conspiracy, but we couldn't do that. Like you cannot begin care with somebody and then withdraw that care. 
that's medical malpractice. So we did what we needed to do to refer them to other clinics to help them get there physically, financially. We did all of that. And then we closed down so that we could say that we were done. And we reopened on Monday. We've had maybe seven patients. People are still calling for abortions and we're not even allowed to tell them what the next closest clinic is. We can only point them to publicly available information. And then we have the people who call and try to tell us their stories about why they have to have one or why they need us to help them navigate where to go get one. And how do they get funding right now when a lot of the abortion funds won't work with patients in our area because of this whole fear of conspiracy. And it's just really heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to be in a place where we're doing so much new, good services right now. We just bought, (laughs) we blew $6,000 on Ella so that we can disperse it to anyone, whatever they can pay, because we know that emergency contraception is coming next. Can you talk a little bit about Ella for folks that don't know? Ella is like plan B. It's an emergency contraception. It prevents uh, somebody from ovulating if they had unprotected sex and essentially holds off ovulation until the sperm will die off. Plan B can be gotten over the counter, but we're also seeing that people are both finding it difficult to purchase because it's expensive. Also, because people are so interested in it right now, it's being limited or is out of stock in a lot of pharmacies. And that's if you have a pharmacy that actually will sell it to you, which in the South is difficult to find as well. So Ella is plan B. It's like a souped up plan B. You can use it for a longer period of time. It's effective for five to seven days after unprotected sex instead of just three to five. It's also more effective for people who have a higher BMI. So it's what's recommended for people who do have larger bodies, but it's only available and dispensed by a physician. So when you live in the South, most people don't have doctors. And so we are going to offer it at the clinic. Somebody can just come in and say, I have a dollar, I have $5, here you go. And we're going to hand over Ella to them. And that's our way of telling the state that we are going to be the ones who prevent abortion. We're preventing abortion by making sure people don't get pregnant when they don't want to, rather than just making people try to leave the state and try to stop them physically from being able to get one. Preventing pregnancy stops abortion in ways that that abortion bans never will. A hundred percent. You know, are you thinking about, or this is maybe something that we could strategically work with you on doing like a big campaign around the state about that you are going to be those folks? We are hoping to. Um, We are still kind of seeing what the landscape looks like. We do know that we have the two Planned Parenthoods that had actually stopped doing abortion a few months earlier. It sounds like the Mobile and the Birmingham spa are still going to be staying open, so they're still going to be offering care. At this point, the clinic in Montgomery, which I realized that seven years ago you and I met at, because it's our seven-year anniversary, The clinic in Montgomery is closed, but the powerhouse next door is offering emergency contraception and whatever kind of health um, kits that they can, pregnancy tests condoms, that sort of thing. And then Huntsville is also working on trying to figure out how they can stay open as well. And so there are still going to be accessible healthcare options. The problem is, I mean, I'm doing a grant right now. And the question is how much of your income came from abortion? And for us, it was 95% of our income. 
So when you just turn that off automatically, we can get grants at some point, we believe. We are now officially a nonprofit, which we're really proud of. We just got that put in place last week. We may not be able to get grants from the state because the state dislikes contraception just as much as they dislike abortion. But we know that there are other places that can probably help us and maybe we can get grants from the government and all of that. And Um, we can fundraise also for you. Anybody listening right now, we will put the link in our bio to their nonprofit. It's a tax deductible donation. And so Robin, tell them what it is so they hear it with their ears and then we'll put it in, in our show notes also. Yeah, um, you can actually get straight to it if you scroll down the page on um, aleabortionclinic.com. And that was the moment where I'm like, oh, I probably need to change the name on the URL or they're going to tell me that I'm promoting abortion or something. But for right now, you can go to aleabortionclinic.com. And if you scroll down, you'll see a place where you can donate. We are also very excited that we have the clinic is approved as a Medicaid provider. And Dr. Torres should soon be approved as a Medicaid provider as well. And also we are getting approved. We are in the middle of credentialing for other insurances as well. So we'll be able to be an option for people who have insurance or who have Medicaid. It's very difficult to find a Medicaid provider out here. Um, So we know that this is going to be sustainable in, say, six to 12 months. It's just the in-between time that is getting really, honestly, quite scary. And it means a lot to us to try and stay open, not just because of that, but because we know that we are in a state where everybody, but especially poor people and especially Black people are heavily scrutinized, um, surveilled, criminalized. And we also know that while it is amazingly important to be supporting clinics that are outside of the state, and it's amazingly important to support groups that are trying to get people outside of the state so they can get care, the reality is there are people who are not going to be able to leave the state. They just won't. For whatever reason, be it logistics, um, family, disability, uh, documentation, they can't go. It's too hard. And you can't throw enough money at them to be able to do that. And those are the people who are either going to try to manage their own care or they are going to stay pregnant, but they are not going to get the type of health care that they need. And so somebody has to be able to provide them with health care when there is a miscarriage, however that miscarriage happens. If they go into the hospitals, which is the number one place where people go to get health care at this point because they don't have doctors, they're going to be scrutinized. And we know that right now the biggest thing that Republicans can do is put the fear of arrest into everyone. And it does not have to be a doctor. It does not have to be the person who is receiving the abortion or potentially suspected of it, they're going to be investigating families. They're going to be investigating anyone around it because they need to find someone to blame. That's the only way to isolate abortion patients and keep them from trying to do anything because they know that they can't stop abortion. So the only thing they can do is try to scare everyone by isolating them and not allowing them to have resources. We saw that this week right now in Indiana. This is a fear campaign to make every doctor terrified to ever even try to use an exception for sexual assault. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because the levels of depravity and cruelty are wild on top of the what do people do? Right. And like watching what happened, how this case in Ohio played out and to have the Ohio's attorney general say that it was a lie and that this it didn't happen and to go on Fox News 
and say it didn't happen. And it was just so awful that they don't understand any ramifications of people. And then also just reading about like when you look at the Biden administration, there is not a person I know that works in abortion care that really believes the federal government really has any teeth to help. And when you sort of just coldly say, just go vote for people like Robin, who live in Alabama and for people who live in the other 29 Republican led state legislatures, Voting can matter on a federal level in the future. But for right now, Robin, how is it that y'all can deal with a legislature you're not going to sway? Like you are relying on the federal government, right? Yeah, we are in a bad state in in literal and physical terms because of the fact that our legislature is so gerrymandered. And one of the things that I'm learning about, because I've only been here for about 18 months, one of the things that I'm really learning about in a local level is how gerrymandering isn't just like, I always thought of gerrymandering as, okay, so you have these certain states and only certain counties and certain, this makes the Congress district, all of that. I didn't realize how much it goes on a local level as well until I got out here and learned that my city is actually dangerously gerrymandered. And that's why my city is 52% Black. My city is apparently very progressive, except that we have an extraordinary regressive conservative city legislature. And that's because of the way that gerrymandering works on a city level and a county level in here in Alabama that has made it so that even on a city level, I always tell people like when you're trying to figure out where you're going to put your resources, where you're going to put your volunteer time, where you're going to do the most good, go to the city level because that is the most important, most hyper-local work you can do. But this work doesn't work here right now because the people who are in charge in the city are not being properly elected by the people that they really represent. And so- I've gotten really heavily involved now with a group locally that's actually trying to do fair maps for the city of Tuscaloosa. And this matters a ton because we already saw that the DA that's in that is in charge of the county of Birmingham has said that he's not going to make it a priority to investigate anything that has to do with abortion. Unfortunately, there are no clinics in Birmingham. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have morality gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a clinic in Tuscaloosa that we are planning to do miscarriage management. We have a whole protocol set up to make sure that we are doing everything completely within the legal rules that have been set so far by our state, but we know our DA is going to be on top of it. Like we would not be surprised to see him come for every file or whatever would happen. And so that's because we have a conservative, conservative county and, and city legislation. First, we're working on getting a map that's actually fair and represents people. So yeah, people have to get out and vote, but also we need to really recognize the fact that voting is only something that you can do when you have enough people and enough bodies that can overcome the minority rule, essentially. I know. And, you know, even looking at, you know, Biden enacting this, you know, emergency room, you know, the way that states set up what life and health of the person looks like is very different. And now we see the state of Texas suing the Biden administration for saying that it is 
forcing people to turn every emergency room into an abortuary. You know, it's well, and Texas is doing that as a political thing, obviously. But the other reality is from a healthcare standpoint, you don't want your emergency rooms to necessarily have to be doing emergency abortions because what we're talking about then are people who have much, much less training in abortion procedures who are being the ones who are going to be then doing these procedures in a really high risk situation. And so when you are trying to deal, like one example that I keep giving out here is that we had someone who had a um, a suspected ectopic pregnancy. And because she had insurance, we sent her to the emergency room so that she could have it taken care of there so that she didn't have to pay out of pocket. She got to the quote unquote maternal specialty emergency room that we had from the maternal and neonatal hospital, and they didn't have methotrexate. And so for people who don't know, methotrexate is the shot that you can take that will immediately stop the development of the embryo so that it doesn't rupture a tube. But they didn't have any there. And so they stuck her in an ambulance and sent her over to our main hospital, which is the only other hospital in the city. And also I can say this because it's been reported often is terrible absolutely terrible. And when she got there, the doctor there said that it was probably too late for methotrexate to do any good and that they needed to operate on her tube. They did that. They ended up perforating her bowel, all because we could have done this in the clinic with a shot of methotrexate, but we didn't because we were trying to help by making sure that she could pay for it, that we she couldn't do it at our clinic when we could do abortion. It was illegal for insurance to pay for it. Yeah. And also, I just want to say that I think it's methotrexate that you are also using when you have arthritis. And yes. now they won't help people with arthritis get methotrexate because they say that it you could be lying. Doctors are afraid to prescribe it to people with lupus and people with arthritis. Um, Robin, I could talk to you all day, but we have to wrap it up. Again, what is the link where people can donate and where we can help support? Yeah, come find us at aleabortionclinic.com, at least until I change that URL. There's a place down there to donate. We're also online on Facebook. The clinic is at West Alabama Women's Center on Facebook. And you can always find me on Twitter all over the place at Robin Marty. Thank you so much, Robin. We're thinking of you and you know that we are here in anything we can do, any fundraising. I love that. You are our best supporters. Thank you. Thank you, dear, so much. Thank you, Robin Marty. Please, please help if you can. This Alabama clinic stay open, the West Alabama Women's Center. You can make donations and support at alabortionclinic.com. And Robin's book, Handbook for Post Row America, is available everywhere. And you can follow Robin at Robin Marty. All of that will be in our show notes. And I'm going to continue this conversation because I'm not sure a lot of people know the powerhouse of the South. And that really people in the South are leading a way forward, have been leading the way forever. And leaving Alabama and moving over to Georgia, I am so excited to have our next guest coming up. From Access Reproductive Care Southeast, or ARC as we call it, uh, we're joined by Jaleesa Jackson, who was the Interim Executive Director, and Oriaku Njoku, who was the Founder and Outgoing Executive Director, and is moving into an amazing position and a really challenging one as executive director of the National Network of Apportion Funds. So let's get to talking to them about where we move forward, how we do care in the South, and how reproductive justice plays an incredible role. Welcome, both of you. I am thrilled to have both of you here. I guess 
First off, I want to ask, which seems like such a stupid question, but how are you both doing? But I just want to know how you're hanging. Yeah, um, I can share. Um, I think I am feeling somewhere in between like a number of different emotions. I think what feels really present is like a little bit of over overwhelm, but also I also feel very resolved and clear and um, committed and activated and all of those things. So it's like, you know, balancing all of those, all of those feelings and emotions. Oh, well, um, I've been out for two weeks, so I feel great. Um, (laughs) No problems here. No, I mean, I've really been intentional about like not being on the news, not really going on Twitter, just because I'm, I just want that quiet time. So life-wise, we're great. Work-wise, it's like, I know what I'm coming into. And I know that this work is going to require a lot of rest and pausing um, to do it. So I didn't take my pause for granted. But yeah. I feel like that's wise. I went to Italy for two weeks, the first two weeks of June. Oh, my God. Um, and I just decided, I mean, plus there's something fundamental that we all know is we're in this. Yeah. And so you have to take the time because when you come back, it's it's still here. And right. has, has been here. Right. And so I wanted to, I think the one thing I just love talking about when we talk about having abortion conversations is that they publicly rarely happen, mm-hmm. right? And so, so tapping into what is happening right now is not a right now thing. You know, I think a lot of people frame it as right now. When, when I say a lot of people, I'm thinking a lot of people look like me, you know, look at this as a right now thing or a since 2016 thing or whatever. Talk a little bit about doing service in the Southeast. And when ARC started, mm-hmm. what the landscape was to what the landscape is now. And I know it's a big question, but how have you had to shift and move in ways that were expected mm-hmm. and then ways that were unexpected? Ori, I'm going to kick off with you. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So in 2016, well, we got incorporated in 2015, 2016, uh, was July, 2016 was the first time we started funding and it was really cute. I remember, you know, we were just bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready for whatever, just like we had worked in clinics. Now we're doing this abortion fund work. Sure, the political climate is not that bad. It's actually in our favor right now, but we'll be good. Um, And then three months later, no, four months later, um, you know, the change in administration happened like it did. And we were like, okay. What I noticed then was a lot of like our repro partners, like, oh my God, what are we going to do? We weren't expecting this. And that was the thing that taught me like, oh, you got to stay ready, like always ready, always have various scenarios, always have a plan B, C, and D because you literally never know what's going to happen. And, you know, the longer that we've been doing this work, the more difficult legislation has been coming out, anti-abortion legislation. And at the same time, the more folks end up calling us too. So, you know, I remember, yeah, that first year we spent $20,000 in funding. This last year was over $700,000. I think it was closer to eight. Um, And that's just a reflection of what the need is. You know, we used to have maybe 40 people for a month who would call us. Now it's, I 
we ended June with like 730 people or so who we talked to at Arc Southeast. So the work has gotten, I wouldn't say more difficult, but one of the things is like, we knew that we had to build up our team in order to do the work the way that we wanted to. So investing in infrastructure and our database and all those things, that was really, really important. So we can build and see where Jaleesa takes us next or takes Arc Southeast next. That's right. And Jaleesa, having said that, give the folks a little bit of all the work that y'all do, right? Because you all do a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite things about the work at Arc Southeast is that it's incredibly material. Um, my friends and I joke around about being material girls. And what we mean by that <laughs> is being grounded in like an under a deep understanding of what material realities are existing amongst the communities that we're accountable to. So what does it look like to be in relationship with community? And so when I think about Arc Southeast, one of those ways is by providing material, right? Like materially uh, to folks so that they can access abortion care, recognizing that because of the majority of the people that we serve are Black folks, Black birthing people are already parents. Um, And so they're sort of at the nexus of layered oppressions, whether it's like housing inequality, whether it's income inequality, right? And all of these things inform one's ability to access abortion care. And so our work looks like filling that gap in the best way that we know how, and that's through being in deep relationship with our community. We also move our work programmatically. So being part of uh, coalitions with our partner, Reproductive Justice Organizations, and building up people's consciousness around abortion access and reproductive justice and the, and, and the various intersections, right? So really highlighting the ways that um, restrictions around abortion access um, and reproductive oppression is deeply linked to other areas that our people um, are impacted by, like policing or immigration and what have you. And so I, what I love about the work is that it's multi-pronged and that it's expansive, right? We are operating in six um, states. And so it's also like the context is different. And so like right now we've been thinking a lot about rural spaces and states that we're working in and how we can think about what the needs will be like with this shifting landscape right now. Wow. Did you start out funding solely in Georgia and expanded out? Or did you start out saying we need to fund this region? Yeah, um, we knew at first. Well, we wanted to have twelve states, and remember, being oh, like, you guys love you. So <laughs> ambitious, so ambitious. I'm like, thank goodness we cut some of those out um, because it would have been wild. So, what we did when we opened, we did what I call like a staggered opening. So, like the first two weeks, it was Georgia and then Alabama, and just like slowly added on different clinics until we got or not clinics, different states until we got to the beginning of September and everyone, um, all of the states had been, we were funding at all the clinics in the states that we worked in. So yeah, yeah, that's how we did it. Uh, But before that, we took like a two week clinic tour and visited all the clinic partners and, you know, we're like, how are you? We're real people. This is what we hope to do, you know? Um, and I think that was helpful too, as far as building that relationship before, you know, moving into the task. So, you know, one of the things that we, and I'm sure you have been inundated with people who want to help and volunteers. And one of the things that we're trying to work at, at Abortion Access Front is to be sort of a conduit 
to house people until people are ready to take them in. And I wondered if if y'all could speak to a little bit around how do we, because we have to grow, our funds have to grow, we have to be able to um, people them more so that we, and find the time to train them, but we don't have the people right now to train them. So I wondered if y'all could offer a little bit of like how you're thinking about that strategically and how partner orgs could be helpful in any way to then bring your vision and message to a training situation so you could get more folks to help? That's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that we've identified as um, work that we want to prioritize in this sort of like in the immediacy is the emphasis on building collective power. And I think, you know, social movements talk about power a lot. And collective power is my favorite type of power because it lies with the masses of people so deeply aligned to community um, and oriented around what those uh, direct needs are. And so one of the things that I'm really excited about of what we're prioritizing as it relates to that is building out curriculum to help people build consciousness to sharpen their understandings of the reproductive justice framework of abortion access and criminalization, reproductive justice and abortion access and environmental justice or immigrant justice, right? And being able to train people so that they can then be in their community um, as sort of like ambassadors and stewards of this knowledge and recognizing that it's really through word of mouth, it's really through relationship building and trust and community that we're able to bring more folks in. And we see that as the sort of way that we can have a leadership development pipeline, recognizing that we have a great movement right now and that we need more people. Um, And that there is a benefit of having an intergenerational movement that is reflective of all of the people that we care about. And so that we can be sharpened by each other um, and grow and evolve in that way. And so I'm really excited about people's, for some people, it's like a renewed interest. For some people, it's like a very new thing and really harnessing that. And one of the things that I feel like I want people to know about the work um, ahead is that it is a marathon, right? And so we need people that are excited and are ready to be committed. And we're going to need you in in a year, in two years, in five years, right, to ensure that we're able to move um, and to transform our conditions in the way that, in ways that are liberative. But yeah, I'll pass it to Ori to see what they think. Oh my God. No, I actually love that. And, you know, that is something that as we were going through the strategic planning, you know, we, NNAF has the tagline, fund abortion, build power. And for us, we never imagined funding abortion without doing the work to build power at the same time. And so, you know, over the years, as we were talking, we're like, the healthline, the, you know, direct service team, they're good to go. They do the funding. They talk to all these people every day, like they're good. But then our programs department at ARCA was like, we we need something, like we need something else. What is that? And so through that process, figuring out what building power means to us and being like, well, do we have a definition? What does that mean? Um, Building power to do what, you know? Um, And so, I really love like when I'm thinking about what the funds can do and how ARC Southeast is definitely a model of what's possible doing that, you know, political education and building up leaders. Um, And once folks have that grounding in reproductive justice, the 
understanding of why all the issues that impact them also intersect with abortion access. Once we get to that place, then it's like we are steps closer to liberation. And there are places like the National Network who can hook folks up or hook up some of those eager volunteers to the groups and to the funds on the on the ground. Yeah, I feel like there's so many ways and so many things in this moment, but I will say the influx of volunteers is wild. Like, <laughs> and hard to manage, you know, with people who are new to the movement, think they know, you know, that's one of the reasons that we're doing this event on Sunday, yeah. this Operation right. Abortion event. And the first panel is this reproductive justice framing so yeah. that when people go into every subsequent part of the day, we're asking them to take that information with them. Yeah. Because it's going to be crucial for them to everyone to be thinking about this new grounding for mm -hmm. what they do and getting with y'all, we have 10,000 people signed up to watch this. Oh, 10,000. That's so, so to have 10,000 people and, and I'm sure that 7,000 of them are white women, nearly positive of that. Right. Um, to have them be new and to come into this hearing leadership of black women, hearing what their grounding should be and having them have a toolkit with asking answers constantly. Are they living their values? as they think about clinic support, patient right. support, right. direct action. Like I feel super stoked and it's because of work, you know, um, that Ori you have done and Jalisa, I'm so excited to be working with you and how AAF can help support what you're doing. But, um, you know, learning that shit, I'm somebody who came into this 10 years ago, saying reproductive justice when I went abortion rights. I mean, I was, I was making all the mistakes yeah. and guidance and crucial leadership. Yeah. Valuable and great. So I'm so excited y'all are in this and I just want to, um, and I don't know if you know this, but um, we're going to screen every single person, all 10,000 with digital defense fund. And then cool. when you're ready to onboard them, we'll get them to you at your, at your capacity. So yeah. that part's going to be cool. So let's talk just a little bit about, will you bring people up to speed about what the state of care is in Georgia right now? I feel like I feel a little bit unclear. I know laws were passed and that they, they were stayed because Roe was in place. Where are you all at with actually care? Because there's no states around you providing care at this point. Is that correct? Well, Florida has a 15-week ban, um, is my understanding. Um, and in Georgia, uh, yes, HB 41 had been stayed. And so it had gone through that uh, process. There has been recent discussions around that being revisited this week. I'm not sure um, about the specifics around that. So that would be the six-week ban that was introduced um, in 2019 um, and that we've held back since then. And so... Yeah, we're, you know, just continuing to keep an eye on it. One of the things that I think is important to know about sort of the ripple effects of something as significant as the overturn of Roe is that there's this sort of like purposeful um, misinformation and confusion that contributes tremendously to people 
sort of opting out of seeking abortion care, right? Because headlines can be really confusing and misleading. And so people can assume that abortion is all out illegal, right? Um, So I think that's one of the things that it's important to think about, like, what sort of media's uh, role in all of this and sort of spreading this information and how people are able to access like the most up-to-date and accurate information. Because there's been various sort of state laws that have, you know, different periods. Like, so is this going to affect 10 days after row or 28 days after row, right? It's like all of these sort of nuances that exist that, um, you know, create additional barriers to barriers that are, that we were already trying to sort of address. I mean, that's, essentially what I would have said. Well, I'll add some more. So the interesting part is for the longest time, Georgia was considered like the abortion hub of the South. You know, Georgia had more abortion clinics than Mississippi, Tennessee, Alabama, and South Carolina combined. And so thinking about that, where all these folks were coming through and trying to get their support, even since SB8, that support has been supporting Texans going from Texas to Jacksonville or DC or whatever that may be. But yeah, just all around uncertainty, every single state that we work in has something different. You know, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee have trigger bans. South Carolina and Georgia have the six-week bans. Florida now has that, you know, 15-week ban, but also has parental notification and parental consent, making it even harder for young people to get their abortions. So it's, you know, and because a lot of these, like, it's almost like there's no borders because people are crossing state and county lines every day. But the confusion that's, like, intentional that's happening is so confusing for a lot of people. Sometimes it's confusing to me. I'll be like, wait, what is I was going to say, I was going to say, I'm confused yeah. every day. Yeah. I have, I'm confused and I have to work out that confusion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know. It feels like, you, like every day you wake up and you just have to do a reset because sometimes it's ping pong. You're like, that has a stay. Some judge said, yes, no. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm really grateful for the website. I need an A because mm-hmm. they have worked tirelessly to, if, if nothing else, you can find a clinic near you that is providing care or a telemedicine or a physician that provides. So that, but it's just, it's really hard. Any last thoughts that you want people to be thinking about as we are here? And I think that the messaging of this is a marathon is key. And Oriaku, I know you're going to be dropping all the wisdom at Operation Save Abortion on Sunday as well about next steps and how people can really activate. But um, Jaleesa, tell folks, tell folks how they can support you right now in the capacity that you have Yeah, <laughs> bring them on. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, I think I mentioned, I was really excited about people's energy and wanting to harness that. And so I want to continue to encourage people to reach in to us, to become volunteers, to go through the trainings. Um, that's one way to remain committed to the work. Um, and it's also a way that to build community with others that are also deeply passionate about the issue. And then also just, I think the emphasis of people committing to their ongoing uh, political education and and learning. Um, I think one of the sort of pitfalls of like the how we got here is not necessarily paying as close attention as we should have to the opposition, um, to their organizing tactics and strategies and growth ultimately. Um, And so how can we moving forward be more um, 
sort of intentional about that. And then the last thing that I'll say is connecting the local issues that we see and regional issues that we see to international issues of reproductive justice, right? I think one of the important things is to see those connections, the ways that there's repression um, in the United States at the hands of the state and how the United States also exports that reproductive oppression in the global South. And so just encouraging people to think expansively about our issues so that we can have strategies that meet all of the folks who have been dispossessed their needs. Yeah. What I would add to that is like that idea of a marathon is very, very real. You know, this, this whole, you know, shit show that we're in right now did not happen overnight. And it's one of those things where the same strategy has been used for the last 50 years and folks are surprised that this is what happened. And so for me, it's like, Folks who are willing to try something different, willing to take a a little bit of risk because that's going to be necessary to, you know, connect with abortion funds and get that political education, you know, ask themselves how far are they willing to go for our collective liberation and what that means to them. Yeah. Thinking about it, it's like the, the North Star for all the work. Like, it's horrible. It's awful. You have several calls. You're talking to folks every day. But Something that I'm always trying to get people to know is the thing that's guiding us is knowing that reproductive justice can actually be a reality in our lifetimes. And so knowing that we're not there, that doesn't mean we stop. You know, I think this is the time where we change some tactics and just get really think differently, think expansively, be creative, you know, because (laughs) the creativity of the opposition has also led us to this place where we're in and, you know, the ridiculous bans that are in all these states. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding people who are not only values aligned or willing to do the work to be values aligned and then spreading the word even outside of foundations and, you know, small family, family foundations as well, really making it a thing where all of us, regardless of if you have $5 or $1 or a gazillion dollars, like it doesn't matter, but everyone who's committed to that collective liberation is playing a part in making sure that this doesn't happen again 50 years from now. Yeah, I think that's really wise. I also like to just remind people that this isn't somebody else's problem. Yeah, You are living in a world of oppression and it is up to you to fix it. And especially looking at my, my people, you know, it's like we started racism. We started this fucking oppression. We need to fix it. Like this was our contribution. So step up, step the fuck up. And it's also like really the thing about this work that I think I love the most is the people in it and the communities that have been shaped are places that you want to be for rejuvenation, for mobilization, for all of it. It's the dopest people and get in it because you need community right now. Yeah. Like just like you need, just like those weird like Oath Keeper fucking people needed community and found their shit bags. We have good people to find community with and we need to overtake them in numbers. Yes. You know, we are the, like, I hate to say it, it sounds so like put it on a fucking pillow, but like we are the change. Like there ain't no politician that's going to save you. We're not getting saved. There's no saving. No one is saving you. That's not how 
it's ever worked in history. So no. Yeah. And I often say to folks like, you know how when you're hungry, no one's bringing it for you. Yeah. You the same with life. No one's bringing you your nutrition or your liberation or your anything. You have to demand it from people who don't want you to have it and then find dope people to do it with. It's really quite simple. And what I'm glad about is that you people are doing the most, some of the most wonderful people ever. I feel very excited, Jalisa, at your leadership taking over ARC and where you're going to take it. And Ori, you you taking over NANAF and taking that organization in a time that's really, I mean, you both are working in times that are incredibly difficult. So let us know how we can be helpful. We're going to put all the links to give all the monies to all of these folks. So I hope you do that. And Ori, I'll see you Sunday. And Jalisa, I hope I see you soon. Yes, take care. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Thank you. Make sure you follow ARC Southeast and Abortion Funds on social media. It is at ARC underscore Southeast and at Abortion Funds all across your social media life. So normally at this time, we would do Six Degrees of Abortion, where Moji and Marie try to challenge me on trying to tie abortion to a big news story, but I can't challenge myself. So instead, I'm just going to go right into our comic, who is going to bring us some joy, going to bring us some hope, and also going to talk about grief and comedy and how all that plays out. I'm very excited. Musician, comedian, leader of the band Tigers and Monkeys, co-host of the podcast, We Don't Even Know. Please welcome our dear friend, Shanali Bowman. Shanali. Hi. Oh, Liz. It's Hi, so good honey. to see you. You look beautiful. I did this for you. Oh I cut my, my hair gosh. too. I don't know if you noticed. I do. I it like this kind good. of short in the back. Nobody can see, but I can see. You it's know. looking really you know good. It. <sighs> Shanali, it's so much, you know, and we were just um, talking with Robin Marty about providing care in Alabama and what it means to restructure your clinic to help people and what they're forcing people to go through. And like, whenever I talk to women and then I talk to women of color, you know, it's so different. And like providers of color are thinking of like just leaving the field. Women of color are just experiencing harm on all levels of life. And then this, how are you coping in the world right now? It's so, that's such a wonderful question. Cause I feel like I have not been very social and I am a very social person in the past few months. My father passed away and that happened amiss, right? Like our world just freaking exploding in front of us. And as two people that like to bring people joy, I think you understand like the fact that we feel in many ways like helpless, you know, that's crazy to me, your energy, my energy Like we're not those people. And to feel that way is such an overwhelming, um, it's sad in many ways, right? But at the same time, you know, that fighting energy, especially like you said, as a woman of color, it's like, that's that's our existence always. That's always who we're at. And I actually was just talking to a friend about, I mean, this is random, very adjacent, but like, Uh, It was Christian. He's biracial. We were talking about friends tapping out and like moving into the woods and like hiding, you know, just leaving the city or just not wanting to fight anymore. Most of them are white. And I just we both talked about how our energy is best used 
in places and communities where there are other people that want to fight and want to stand up and that we have to. It's just who we are. You know, well, the so, privilege also of just leaving a fight just is the to me, that is the profound divide of of community. It's like, how right. dare you say you're tired when yeah. the lived existence of people you claim to love and invite into your life? Don't invite people into your life if you are not willing to like ride or die on on what's happening. To check yeah. out, we'll go to the woods. You know what? <laughs> you. What if and then, you know, there's that one little tiny part of me at first. It's accommodating. Yeah, I understand. It's exhausting. And and I can tell that in my, in my own head, the narrative is like, you've got to take on their work. It's like, I'm taking yes. on everybody else's work. And you are. And, you know. But I'm supposed I, I'm, to. I, no. That's my job. Take on exactly. the work. So it is this fight that we never, ever can stop fighting and just continues to get bigger. And, and, you know, I, again, I think about my parents' generation, like my parents came here in the late sixties. My dad is a sociology professor. My mom was anthropology and they were in the fight and they were Indian Americans. Well, Indians, they became U S citizens later, but they were fighting then. And they found a group of Americans that were black and white that embraced them. And even though English was not their first language, I even think that's a rarer thing these days is for us to embrace people of other cultures and ethnicities and say, hey, be my friend. Hey, let's go figure this out together. That's rare now. But they had that. And that is something that I still now look to as like, oh my God, those days are gone. We got to bring that back. We have to do this. We have to fight. I'm from Tennessee, and so listening to Robin speak about Alabama, I was there um, with my mom, and I remember waking up, she had on the TV the day Roe was overturned, and I just saw, you know, protesters are from the White House, and I was like, Mom, what's going on? She goes, oh, you know, and she's she's a super strong, courageous fighter who definitely thinks, like, this is fucking insane, and uh she said, oh, Roe was overturned. And, you know, just like the blood pumping, you know, amidst the sadness of all the other things in the world. I was like, we got to go to the streets. We got to be in the streets. Everybody, we got to be in the streets. So, you know, I was texting friends there. You know, I recruited a few. I was in the streets in Nashville. You know, we went to the Capitol. And thank goodness there are tons of women and men that are fighting in Tennessee and are brave and courageous. and. Uh, not taking this sitting down, you know, and I need that. I have to feel yeah. that energy. Well, Otherwise, Shinali, you know, um, four of my team on abortion access front are live in Tennessee. Oh one in goodness. Knoxville, one in Memphis or two in Memphis, yes. one in Bristol. So, right. so just really like, uh, in fact, I will be in Nashville taking on some uh, anti-abortion bad guys at the end of July. They're having their oh, national that- conference there and we're going to go oh, awesome. and um, counter protest at it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Awesome. But like, but you know, you touched on something that I think is crucially important. You know, abortion has been so siloed and, and we, I've talked about this on your podcast and talked about it a lot. It's been yeah. so siloed that there hasn't been community with which to talk about and learn. Right. And so when you are out among people, it's what gives you hope. And, you know, 
I know you've had really personal loss this year. You lost your father, who I know was like your heart and soul. And yes. And, you know, dealing with the grief of that, but also getting your strength from having his presence and having him, his essence. It's been really beautiful looking at your Instagram when you were telling the story. I I really appreciated it. And I just wondered what wisdom can you offer people to like be in the joy and in the grief at the same time? Because it's a real thing. That's I I feel like my solution or whatever response to that comes directly from my parents and my dad. um, I remember as a kid finding some kind of joy being with him in a march against apartheid in Tennessee. And I felt so cool and so strong. And I was on his shoulders and I understood at a young age, like kids are smart. We know what's happening, you know. I remember at a young age that social injustice was something that we always would have to fight for. I remember knowing that and that the beauty of other human beings that are ready to engage with you in that fight, that's to me, that's bottom line, my connection to the world. And that's through my art. That's through the comedy. That's through the podcast. That's here talking to you. At the end of it all, that's what makes me feel safe and comfortable. So when I hear people tapping out that I know definitely have the physical energy, I can see them. They're young. You know, there are old people that are fighting. You're young and you physically have that energy. You actually have the financial privilege to actually take a little time out of your schedule, even if it's a little bit, it matters, to join us. And there are so many of us that cannot not fight. Like, you need to help us. But I would say, like, to me, the bond that you have with other people on the same page that are ready to take a stand and to make change is such the most satisfying one. Like, that's it. Like, what is this comedy is that to me? Like, that's what we're yeah. doing. What are well, we- and I, yes. And you, I know you, obviously we all take breaks when we are grieving and we do that, but yeah. um, have you found a renewed solace, <sighs> I guess, within your art or has it been a struggle to get back in? So, yeah, I tapped out as a, as a sort of, it was almost a challenge to myself to be comfortable with not creating, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was a challenge. It was like, all right, I actually started swimming or like trying to attempt to do something that's challenging and that's never something I've done before. Like Um, you didn't know how to swim at all? I I, I knew how to swim, but not, you know what I mean? Like I'd be breathing heavily, like after a (laughs) lap, you know what I mean? I, I, I need to get better. And I remember it being like something in my life that I was like, I'll never be good at that. So, you know, and then, so I was like, all right. So it's still like, I would say uh, a part of me being creative, actually swimming, but I gave myself time to also remember, remind myself and like that image of my dad marching with me was very helpful. And he was also a creative person in remembering that that's the magic of each one of us. And it's not selfish. I think that's a lot of part, a reason that a lot of us feel awkward about presenting ourselves to the world. It's like, who am I to share myself? But the whole part of the whole reason you do it is to connect and to also use your voice, which may be a voice that other folks that aren't able to present itself, you're representing those voices, you know, Mm -hmm. to remind myself that I think I'm giving myself with this last three years of just fucked up living that we've been living in, you know, the world 
to remind myself that no matter what, God, I'm going to say white men tell me in those offices in every field, you know, uh, being a contract attorney, lawyer, musician, comedian, I've met them in every world. And they seem to really believe that their their gaze, their view represents all of us. And so I'm giving myself more uh, leeway to just. And so I'm writing things. I have started writing things that are confronting that gaze and making it clear. And that this what we're going through right now is a reminder of like every time you go take a step, like this is the backlash to us speaking up. And so we have to fight that much harder. But this is this is intentional action taken against women. Like this is an intentional action meant to oppress women, to take our power away, to make sure it's not just abortion. It affects every aspect of our lives, financially, our education, our lives, livelihoods. Like it takes everything that away and pushes us back. And it reminds me, and like as a person of color that studied the constitution, constitutional law in law school, which I really enjoyed it because I realized like it's many in many ways bullshit a lot of the times, which is, <laughs> but, yes. but I could, you know, find the words to process like why and when and how, but it takes you back to the 13th and 14th amendment and like understanding how women, black women were chattel. They were forced to have babies by white men. And there was a response to that. And it's like, these guys, and one one woman, whatever. Uh, it's like there is intentionality in their decision. There is so much hypocrisy in that decision. I could start talking about Plessy versus Ferguson. Like there is no logic in that analogy that Alito uses to that decision. It's complete bullshit, and it, and it's intentional. It's all about holding women down. And that's, that's the, you know, keeping them in power. It's crazy. Right. I mean, and the thirst, this unquenchable thirst to keep us oppressed is really like, it's something that I feel like I knew that they were driven by their hatred of our power, but I didn't realize. And I guess if I was to have a wake up call, it was how fucking infinite it goes and that they will never be satisfied unless we're just like corpses they can fuck maybe because honestly <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where's the end the end game here end and it doesn't seem great and so the more that I just like they want us to become who they think we are which is people who are gonna all of a sudden just take up arms and go on some kind of stabbing spree. And they don't, <laughs> what they don't understand is if we wanted them dead, they would be, they right. would, be. we would have done that because this right. isn't like new oppression. Yeah. They invented it. They've called yeah. it white women have joined in and found their, yeah. their comfort in it. So I'm really glad to hear that your art has really taken this turn to do that because truth be told, our words and our art sometimes have more power than anything. And it Mm -hmm. also takes up space in a good way. If we're not putting out our worldview, our humor, our music into it, you're right. Then it doesn't exist. Then that narrative is just like anything else. That's the narrative that exists. Chanel, I can talk to you all day, every day, but we wrap it up. 
Tell folks where they can find you as you bring yourself back into our fantastic uh, As I come back alive, I'm ChanaliBomick.com and then TigersAndMonkeys.com, which is my band. And then That's a good band. my podcast that you were an amazing guest on is, we don't even know, but it's WDEKpodcast.com. And That's we'll put it. all of that in our show notes. But like, yeah. if you don't know Shanali, if you don't know, now you know. And <laughs> follow her on all the things and subscribe to the pod. It is a great pod. It's informational. It's fun. It's funny. It's like, makes you think. I love You're it. You're I am going to host a party. I am hosting an abortion. You know, For you, Operation I, I, Sunday? Operation Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, my God. Yeah. That's so great. So Shanali yeah. hosting a party. So do us a favor. Make sure that you are Instagramming some pictures from your party. Yes. Um, because we will be sharing. We are so excited about this day. We've been blabbing about it. We have 10,000 people signed up to watch awesome. and learn and we're giving people tools. Get your party kit ready too. It's important. The breakout session, Shanali, are going to be so it. fun. So I cannot wait to hear. Yay. Um, thank you. Thank pictures. you, Liz, for what you do. It's Thank you. Thank well, you. thank you, sweetie. And like, if you need to talk, I am part of that horrible club that you're in. And so um, if I can offer a shoulder or a word of wisdom, I'm always here. Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate Chanel. it so much. All right. Thanks, Liz. Bye. 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 Thanks again, Shanali. You are incredible. Make sure you listen to her podcast. We don't even know. And follow her on social media at Shanali Bomek on Instagram and at Shanali underscore on Twitter. Thanks again to Robin Marty, Oriaku Njoku, and Jalissa Jackson for joining us to talk about the news and all the abortion justice in the world. And don't forget to follow their orgs on social media at ARC underscore Southeast at Abortion Funds and West at West underscore Alabama underscore Women underscore Center. That is a lot of words, but we'll put it in the show notes. Donate to the West Alabama Women's Center at Alabortion Clinic. Dot com and donate to ARC Southeast at arcsoutheast.org. Thank you so much for listening. We are here to help you any way we can, except when Moji and Marie at a wedding, um, navigate all the garbage that's going on. So if you like it, please subscribe, write a review, give us five stars. It's the best way for our pod to reach more people. And by doing so, you're helping more people learn about this assault and abortion access. Also, you're learning what you can do to be part of the solution. To keep up on all the latest Repro news, follow us on social at Abortion Front, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and at Abortion Access Front on TikTok and YouTube. FBK Live is edited by Remy DeTornay and is a production of Abortion Access Front. Also, plug alert, our dear friend, Amy Hegstrom Miller, who is the CEO of Whole Women's Health, is in an incredible book, an anthology that has just come out. It's called Abortion Care as Moral Work, Ethical Considerations of Maternal and Fetal Bodies, basically making the ethical argument for abortion, which is an argument that shouldn't have to be made, but is beautifully in this book. We'll put the link to where you can access this book in the show notes. And I'm closing out with this is the last pod. We'll be plugging it this Sunday. In fact, I'm going to do it like a monster truck. Sunday, 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 July 17th, Operation Save Abortion in your living room. That's right. If you have not signed up, I don't know what you're doing. Join the 10,000 people who have said, hell yeah, I want to do an immersion and learn all about the ways I can get active and help people, clinics, take to the streets 
You're going to learn all the ways abortion activism can work for you. Yep. Operation Save Abortion. It is not a march. It's your marching orders. If you want all the information and to register, do it at operationsaveabortion.com. The registrations close Friday night at 11 59. So if you're listening to this podcast, you have a little bit of time to do that. And it's super important because it's going to be really great. But also if you can't make it, we are going to be putting up the toolkits and all of the sessions online so that you can get your abortion activism on at your leisure. And next week, just a reminder, we're taking the week off. We deserve it. But we'll be back on July 28th, where we're going to be coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, where Operation Save America, America's unfriendly hate group, will be having their national convention. And we're going to make sure that they don't have a moment of peace. And lastly, support a bitch. That's right. Join our Patreon. You'll support great content, get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. Let's put out this fire, folks. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. We're closing out now, as we always do, with, um, with somebody who would like to end all abortion, but also thinks that sometimes women will give birth to, I don't know, turtles? <laughs> Is there any instance of a woman giving birth to something that is not a human being, a baby, like, I don't know, a turtle, or as our first lady suggested, a breakfast taco? I mean, is there any instance where other than a human being has been born? Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.